right with Dale. No, no, I, I tried to pick the dullest username I could think of, and so I used Keith Blackburn. And I thought, that, <laughs> that, 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 that would get me kicked out, you know. The guy I've been getting the match with since 1972 is called Keith Blackburn. No! No, no. Excellent. It isn't the dullest name in the world. Can you tell him, please? There was, there was, a, there was a match away at Blackburn once. And, um, we went to the, try to get in this pub, about 20 of us. And uh, the guy at the door said, sorry, lads, this is Blackburn only. He said, oh, it's all right, I'm Blackburn. He's <laughs> <laughs> me 19 brothers okay so it's official pretty much suarez is now on his way to barcelona um chris for you what would you say the team um wh what have we lost with suarez leaving hmm. well <laughs> and that's not a small question is it to kick off <laughs> what have we lost um well, we've lost something irreplaceable, first of all, in my opinion. Um, <sighs> seeking a like-for-like -like replacement to Luis Suarez um, seems an exercise in pointlessness to me. Uh, they don't exist. Uh, I don't think I don't think they ever have existed. There haven't been many players like Luis Suarez. Um, so we have to we have to think um, how we can. Um, find um, the missing goals, the missing um, assists um, without the X factor, without expecting the X factor, which Suarez and only Suarez, uh, in my view, um, can bring. Um, there's been plenty of debate on the site and elsewhere about, you know, uh, let's find the new Suarez, but uh, is there one? You know, he, he's as near to a unique footballer as I think I've ever seen. He's not from a model that makes anything else <laughs> you know he, he's um, no. he's an entirely original footballer um instinctive um what is he is he a striker a creator a, uh, what what is for <laughs> uh, you know before we even get into the uh you know to the dietary activities um he, he's 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 an entirely um uh I, I mean you know, as you know i go back a long way with the football and and i think the nearest I ever saw to um, uh, Suarez kind of uh, presence on a football pitch was a very early Kevin Keegan. Um, but even he didn't approach the skill levels that Luis Suarez uh, offers. Keegan didn't score goals like Suarez scored against Norwich uh, last season. And, and who else does? Right. So, so, you know, no, I, I just, we've lost something irreplaceable. In yes. My um, so there's no point seeking a, a like-for-like like replacement. It, it's 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 what we do instead. Yeah. Uh, and inevitably, as a result, I think we will be a little bit more um, predictable than we were last season. Dan, you you uh, you've got some stats, I believe. Well, I would just just um, just to try and talk about the replacement goals because. To be, I've read so much about Suarez over the past month or so, I haven't got anything to add to, to what's already been said. Chris has just summed it up perfectly as well, you know. He's, he's irreplaceable and he's unique. And we should have just enjoyed the time that he was with us. And hopefully he does well. And maybe he'll come back when he's 32. It's not as if he had explosive pace, was it? So he's still having the skills and the mentalness. So he's, a, he's just a wonderful, wonderful player to watch. Replacing the goals, um, looking at the players we've got, Sturridge, 25, I don't think that's over... You know, over expect expectations for what he could achieve. Sterling, 20. 
Lambert 10, Coutinho 10, Henderson 10, Markovic 10, Lilana 10, Gerard 5, centre-backs 10 between them, and then the rest of the players need to score 7. And that takes us up to a little stat that I'm going to try and focus on, 116 goals over 38 games. That's, that, that's, more, that's more than this season, and would set, I think, Rodgers' target, because he, he came in and he said 80 goals, and people were like, what, yeah, whatever. And we, and we got just about that, didn't we, or something close to it. And then he said, I want to add another 20 next season. Everyone was like, oh, sh Brendan, be quiet. We're not going to get anywhere near 100. And we scored 101. You know, it's his target next season is going to say to the players, right, because he likes his motivational techniques and he likes his envelope. So what he's going to do is he's going to pin up on the board and say 3.06 goals is the record ever in the top flight English football. And that was 3.05 is the current record by Aston Villa, who scored 128 goals in 42 games in 1930 and 31. Brendan's target is going to be, we want to score 3.06. I want Liverpool's Football Club to set the record goals over a season. That might mean we concede 70, though, but we're still going to go for the 116. It's just, this, he's, he does these kind of things. He says, he says things that he just goes, oh, come on, stop it now. Please be quiet. <laughs> We're going to score in a minute. But then we came second after coming seventh. If anyone, if, you know, most, there were a couple of articles on TTT that pred predicted we were going to, you know, easily qualify for the Champions League and maybe challenge for the title. And there was a lot of, oh, yeah, let's, I hope that happens. And, but the general consensus of the TT crowd was fifth, fifth, sixth. Mm. No one, no one were going, it's definitely going to come second. We're definitely going to be in with a chance of the title on the last game of the season. We, you'd have been laughed off the site. I'm, I'm sure you would. You know, it, was, it yeah. wasn't going to happen. That was the level of achievement. We've gone from no one even expected that to 101 goals in, in, in with a... Now, was that Suarez? We don't know, but we do know that we didn't have a massive drop in points whenever he played. We did have a drop in chance creation, so that's something we'll come on to later and talk yeah. about. But I think the team will improve. Right. That's what I think. Okay. And hopefully Suarez will come back when he's 32 and we'll get to see him again, because it's a shame that we didn't get to say bye, I think. Okay. Yeah. Paul, do you, anything to add to the... Do, do you think... Can you see the, the team... Like Dan, do you, can you see the team continuing to increase the number of goals? It's an interesting one because, uh, as Dan said, last, last summer I thought <clears throat> Rodgers had lost the, the plot a bit when he said that he wants um, 20, 20 or 30 more goals. Um, and you just think, well, we'll tidy up the defence a bit and sort, sort that out. You can get the, the extra points that way. But, you know, we added the extra 30 goals conceded 50, was it 50, 51? Um, 50, yeah. Was it 50? Yeah, 50 goals, which is, you know, which seems ludicrously bad, but a, a goal difference of plus 51 suggests a really balanced team, and I've written about it before, but the idea that, um, you know, I thought of 2008-09 as a really balanced side, um, but the goal difference then was, was plus 50, so it's actually one better, you know, the season that's just gone. We didn't feel like a balanced side in that um, we were sort of controlling games and limiting chances, but we were balanced in the fact that we created and scored so many more goals than we conceded. We conceded a hell of a lot, and we scored 
um, you know, even more. And, and, and I don't know how viable it is to expect to improve on that. You know, Suarez has gone, that, that, you know, that was in the top 10 of all time for goals scored in a league season. So it's going to be hard to, to, um, to match that, that, let alone um, go beyond it. The, the interesting thing, I think, for me, is that with Markovic signing, we're talking about an, an incredibly prodigious talent, not quite got the end product yet, but his, his pace, um, his, his skill is, is exceptional. And if you put a, a, him on one side, um, Sturridge in the middle and Sterling on the other side as a front three, I think that would be a, a terrifying combination of pace and skill. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's, there's options. I think we can, we can spread the, the, the goals around, but we might, this might be the season where we do actually have to shore up at the back a bit and, you know, um, comfortably win games and, yes. and not concede as many goals. So, so in a sense, there are two different points of view, I guess, to this. Is, is do we need to replace that high volume of goals or do we need to replicate the, that size of goal difference, which, which is clearly um, um, scoring less but conceding less? Any particular well, side of the fence you'd come down on? Personally, my instinct is that Rogers and the club are heading in the opposite direction to scoring fewer and conceding fewer. Mm. I think their temptation is to score more, and if that means conceding more, so be it. Um, I, I don't, I don't expect them to to, to sort of to suddenly um, acquire a different mindset. That's not to say that we won't be signing a defender or two. I think we all agree that um, uh, a left back and a, and a centre back are, are, you know, a realistic. Uh, targets and, and and indeed are being pursued if, if Moreno and Lovren come to pass. But, um, but that said, I, I don't I don't expect um, from what we've seen in the last year, I don't expect this club to to suddenly start reining it in. Um, right. Okay. I I, I, th- I see them going further down this road. Right. You know, I, I think six threes aren't quite exciting enough, and we're going for seven fives. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that would be my. <laughs> So we'll look. We'll look back on on this year as as uh, sort of half-hearted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit, bit yeah. negative. Yeah. Okay. Dan, <laughs> you, do, have you got? Have you got? No, got Lean times that fashion of fourteen season. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't scored goal. six for a week now. <laughs> yeah. One of my favourite um, stats, and one of the uh, and another job that I do is work is do some reviewing for Anfield Index um, and DPL Index, and the stats that, that um, from there. Is what it's one of the only places you can get them, and I've taken instead of just taking them the amount of clear-cut stances we've got, are the ones that we've conceded. I've done each one on a game-by-game comparison, and when we've created more chan- clear-cut ca- chances than the opposition, I've awarded us three points. When we've conceded less, off off fewer, I've con- I've, I've, obviously we've lost, and if it's the same, it's a draw. And if you did that across the season you would find over each game, um, there were some particular highlights like the 8-1 against Arsenal, clear-cut chances, um, the 9-1 against Spurs, the 7-1 against Cardiff. You know, there was, we had, In some games, we absolutely bad teams, creating more, 
more chances, more and more clear-cut chances than anyone's ever seen in the history of the Premier League. And we would have finished with 87 points rather than 86. So there's, you know, if it went on clear-cut chances, you know, it's quite a similar to the actual final points total, only three more than we would have what we actually finished with. Um, when you look at defensive errors, we were terrible. Recorded defensive on-ball errors, which either led to a shot or a goal throughout the season, we were horrendous. We were relegation form, 33 points if you did it for, you know, who, how many errors we made, how many errors they made, if it was the same, it was a draw. 33 points would have ended up with. So, it, I, we, we are, it doesn't matter whether we're great having errors. To, next season is going to be a kamikaze, error-strewn, <laughs> constant, you know, on the edge of your seat, nonsense where people are going, please just have four at the back and two holders and let's just do a two-nil up, let's control this. Rodgers at two-nil up isn't going to do that. He's going to try and score more, he's going to try and create more clear-cut chances and we'll probably ca get caught on the break or we'll probably, you know, there'll be a few set pieces. Glenn Johnson might miss a stop, a, avoid a cross coming in because that was one of his particular favourites last season. Our full-backs last season... And I know it's been mentioned by Joe Pepper in the free article, you know, um, how Pascal's triangle um, That's sure. led to a mental season. He, he seems to think that we're allowing crosses to come in, <laughs> that it's a deliberate act, or maybe not allowing, but Glenn, Glenn Johnson, by allowing a cross to come in, we are catching the opposition from those, you know, there's so many different complex interactions within a game that this kind of context, match context, where so many chances are being created, you know, nine clear-cut chances is unheard of, eight clear-cut, it's really, it's, it doesn't happen, so, and, and these matches where there's so many clear-cut chances, and I, I, I haven't got the figures to hand, but I'd hazard a guess that Liverpool matches involved more clear-cut chances, and more defensive errors than anybody else, quite significantly, I'm not sure, and I'll go back and find this for the next podcast, but I'm pretty sure that that we are trying to create a match context where there's clear, lots of clear chances. Um, and remember, the ones that are recorded by um, Opta are, are subjective. So Raheem Sterling's chance against Man City that was flagged offside, that is still a chance. And there are bookies and there are uh, professional gamblers who recognise that as a clear-cut chance. He was clean through one-on-one -on -one with a keeper, but it was called offside. Now, we did create that chance. That chance was legitimate, but it doesn't go down in the stats. So how many how many other chances that weren't counted are we still creating? I think it's way more, well, a lot more than what we currently see recorded. But we'll we'll see next season, and I yes. might be this. I might get, get this played back to me in 2016. You absolute fool! You know, 70 goals scored and 30 conceded, and and we've regressed. Like everybody seems to be saying, the way for for Liverpool to improve after the loss of Suarez is not to score more to score less and concede less. I think it's going to go the opposite way. Paul, any observations on those numbers? Um, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, my, my feeling is that we don't, as I say, we don't protect <clears throat> the back four. We don't protect the centre-backs. So um, we push a lot of people forward. We play, play a high-risk sort of high reward game and we're going to get caught out because of that and um, I, I you know with, with someone like Sacco I you know ideally he should be excellent in you, you know he, he's not someone like 
um, Jamie Carragher or Sammy Hippier or Stefan Oncho who needs people in front of him as much because he, he's got the pace and the strength to, to cope with the one-on-ones. Nobody's going to really do Sacco for pace or, or strength. Um, the problem we had was that, you know, particularly it was obvious in, that, in the Palace game, was that we, we just dropped off too deep. And, um, and then you, you sort of like, you're taking it away from, from Sacco's strengths perhaps. But, um, so I don't know, you know, I mean, in lots of ways, I've, I've got a lot of faith in Sacco. I think that Skirtle largely had an excellent season, but also made tons of mistakes. It, it's hard to know if merely changing the personnel would change you know our ability to um to avoid conceding goals the the issue i would think is to say tightening up the midfield if we want to stop conceding goals but then if you tighten up the midfield you know if, if you have two screeners in front um then you're not going to be breaking with as many numbers and creating chances are we just going to try and say well our strikers are so good that we will out we will outscore you you know and, and then we'll rely on on the defenders and the goalkeeper to sort of get us out of jail here and there. It, it, it's, it's just so hard to know what to do with and what to expect from Rogers in general, because he turned up preaching sort of death um, by football possession. Um, 69% of games are won by the team that keeps the most, you know, keeps the ball the most. Um, we played some really good possession football early on, didn't win those games. And then the kind of style has changed, and we have become more—I would say more counter-attacking. But it's—we're um, it, constantly looking to attack. We're not really a counter-attacking side. We just—it's this constant offensive mindset. And um, but but keeping the ball seems to be secondary now. And you know the idea is to get a really quick, sharp through ball you know, or, or something into the channels or get behind them. Or, as we saw with Suarez and as hopefully Markovic will be encouraged to do, is running at defenders in the box. Um, that's kind of one thing that I think stands out is just how much our attacking players, you know, three or four or even more who are in the side, run at defenders you know, in the final third, try to, you know, to either get past them or if they get brought down, brought down, you've got a dangerous situation. So, um, it, it, as I say, the, the, the shift in, in um, approach from Rogers means that it's kind of hard to say for sure what he's going to do next. Um, so, you know, it, it's an interesting, an interesting situation, really. And I, I think the narrative from last season even altered during the course of it. It, it shows the, the way last season sort of built its own story as it went on. You know, we, we almost tend to forget the first three games were, were narrow, squeaky 1-0 wins. You know, and 1-0 wins became um, a non-existent currency by the end of it. But, but we, we started start, start really, with three 1-0s, didn't we? Yeah, and, and they weren't comfortable one year no, either, were they no 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 certainly weren't um but that was without Suarez so but we that got was the point. same season you know it's, it's yeah. almost you, you can almost not recognize that version of Liverpool 
to the is, one that is that, there that any truth is there any truth or do you think validity to the point that we might be resting early on in the season not expunging as much energy as what you possibly were do towards the end you know there was a thought that Rafa kind of did that and managed players fitness levels to peak post Christmas is it was there any truth in that happening and that's why the three one nils because we we conceded possession a lot we conceded a lot of shots in those first three games but we still managed to hang on for three one nils well the big difference as well as losing Suarez is is the Champions League football and you know I think not having it did help us last season in some ways it's obviously if you if you haven't attracted the players if you haven't been in it you can't attract the best players um, so you kind of have that situation but the extra football the one thing with Rogers that, that I'm still waiting to see is is how he does rotate and keep things fresh because over things like the Christmas period he from memory seems to have sort of stuck with the same sides and then you know performances were kind of dropping and then when we had one game a week um, we were like really firing so it, I just think the emotional energy expended in the in the Champions League games, you know, it, it, it's hard to play a really big game at Anfield against a great side or to go away to, you know, Rome or Barcelona or somewhere and and come back and then sort of go to Hull on a, on a Saturday or Sunday. It, it's just, it, it's not a case of the players being up for it. It's just the, the natural buzz from a bigger game is going to be bigger no matter how professional you are and I think one sort of some stats I remember from when we were in the Champions League every season was that Arsenal and Liverpool who had smaller squads really struggled after international breaks and Champions League games whereas Manchester United and Chelsea who had bigger squads tended to get better results following those games and then that's that's kind of an, an indicator of squad management um, and just the depth, um, you know, before, when we were in it before, we were either good in the league under Rafa in a season or good in Europe. It was very hard because we didn't have 25 top players. It was very hard to sort of go all out in one. So it tended to be, you know, either in, in the Champions League or the, or the Premier League where we, where we had a good season. So that might happen again because last year, because we didn't have any distractions, we could focus on on the league. Um, but there's always, you know, there are always things, always surprises, and you know, uh, Dan, going back to you with the, you, you, in a sense, you're saying that the the the, the game plan is it seems to be about creating clear cut chances, and um, Liverpool have outperformed uh, other sides with that. Um, the difference between creating a clear cut chance and taking it, what what you've got some figures for that as well? Well, on an on an individual basis, some of the key performers um, last season for us were Suarez, who who scored uh, scored seventeen of his thirty one for fifty five percent, Sturridge fourteen of his twenty five for fifty six. Sterling a little bit disappointing, really. So hopefully he'll improve. I think his first second half season split would be interesting here, but um, he's scored six out of sixteen for thirty three percent. 
Coutinho can improve there, two, two out of six. Henderson can improve, two out of seven. Victor Moses, thankfully, <laughs> won't be improving on our pitch with none out of four. Two of them were crucial, I think. Um, Gerrard is a little bit skewed because he, his penalties are included in that. He scored um, 10 of his 13 for 17, 77%. So, you know, there's room for improvement there. Suarez isn't going to be there. Um, maybe the... The amount of clear-cut chances is going to be spread out a little bit clearer because there was a focus last season. When you've got a player that good, you're going to look for him. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. You want to, you you want to set your game up so he gets as many touches on the ball, as many chances to beat players. Like Paul was saying, I think dribbles in the box are absolutely massive. The more you can draw fouls, the more you can scare people by dribbling at them in the box. It makes opposition defenders petrified, and that's what causes poor poor marking. That's what causes bad organisation, and, and by blitzing teams, which we did do, by blitzing teams early, trying to overload areas across the pitch on the flanks or through the middle, by trying to get an early goal, it also makes the opposition come out, so they can't sit back like Chelsea did, they can't, you know, they can't park on the edge of our box, because if we score early, they have to come at us, because teams can't settle for a 1-0, or not many teams in the world settle for a 1-0 defeat, Mourinho might occasionally, but not many others. Can I can I just as somebody uh, I'm going to speak on behalf of people that, that maybe aren't familiar with those kind of clear cut chance statistics. You've kind of said you know that that they're they're fifty plus. What, what, can you put that in some context? What's that compared to? What's what's typical across the league? Across the league, it's around thirty seven, thirty six to thirty eight percent. Right. And that's with penalties excluded. Well, I think that might have penalties included. But either yeah. way, that is around yeah. one in three clear-cut chances are scored. That, right. And again, that's ignoring all of the chances. Yeah. Just so the clear-cut chance ones. It, it gives it that context that this is, this is it's, impressive. It's usually a one-on-one or a, or a clear header in the box, you know, from a corner or something. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm kind of coming, if I'm new to statistics, what you're, the message of what you're saying is, as a team, as a performing team last season, Liverpool were very, very high with clear-cut chances. They, they created uh, a huge number and they converted a huge number above average, well above average. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Right. Not okay. only that, um, but they, we made the opposition create them for us as well, you know, by yeah. making a mistake and all, and, and those are included. And, and, what, and, and what it seems that, uh, that, that is starting to be predicted in this conversation is that, that if you thought last season was kind of high thrills, high anxiety, um, you know, you need to go and get your, your prescription updated because it's... <laughs> uh, I think Duncan... Well, I think that's that, what uh, Rogers is going to be saying <laughs> yeah. during this pre-season. He's not going to be saying, no, let's, let's not go for 101 goals, chaps. Yeah. Let's, let's sell for trying... Let's try and just pull it back a bit. We're a bit, yeah. we're a bit dramatic last season. I think he's going to crank it up, put that 3.06 goals per game target on the wall and say, yeah. that's our target this season. We get there. Well, okay. one, one interesting thing is... Uh, I mean, Suarez is dribbling in the in around the box. is was was brilliant. But then, they say now, it seems that the deal for Markovic is done. You know, we're talking about a player, um, Tor Christian Carlson, the um, scout. He's been um, director of football at Monaco. Um, he's a must follow on Twitter. Um, was tweeting today about how he thinks he's one of the one of the top five talents in Europe. Um, it, absolutely explosive pace and and skill and and you know can go past players and I think that Rogers will probably be encouraging that even more uh, you know so it perhaps 
he's not he's not going to be somebody who's going to score the number and the kind of goals as Suarez did. But if he's somebody that can at least um, replicate sort of you know the Suarez's danger in the final third, um, then you know then we could sort of you know compensate in that way. So that that as I say, definitely interesting to see that one. Okay, yeah. we're going to come on to transfers in a moment. Uh, but before we say goodbye to Suarez. Um, uh, Chris, what one memory will you attach to Suarez if you had to pick one? Ooh, yeah, um, that's a tough one. I mean, you, you instantly you start running through the goals, uh, but that's going to take a while. Um, Can I just pop yeah, in with mine? Yeah, 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 of course. Simply because I wrote about it yesterday, it was the um, the dribble against Man United in the um, Doug had count hat-trick game when he set up the first goal just that at that point that's about as good as Suarez could get in my mind because that was as good as anything got and you you, you know the brilliant things he's done since uh, uh you know the best they can do is sort of come close to that moment where you think my god this guy can do anything he's it's not just the way he dribbled around them, but he kept his balance and then, you know, prodded the ball. I don't know whether he was trying to score or square it, but and, and Count tapped in from half a yard. That, for me, was, was just like, you know, this guy is, is something special. I think, mm. I think that's exactly it. I think, it, you know, in answer to that question, I, I, I think it, the most memorable uh, aspect of having Suarez in your team is knowing that, you have in your side somebody who is capable of altering a match at any point during its course. Um, it's just knowing you've got that potent weapon out on the pitch in your team's shirt. I think it is is it's quite rare to actually have a a player that any top side in in the world would would happily have in their first team um, in your colours uh, and able to materially alter the course of the game that's unfolding before you in any given moment. It's that potential to make something happen. And, and uh, Dan, any, do you have a, any yeah, mine single is memory? The, the header from outside, the, from just on the edge of the box against West Brom last season. Absolutely. Instinctive, curls it in to the top corner with his head. Sissoko pinged the pass. I think he miscontrolled the pass, to be honest. Mm. And he just, it just, I've never seen anything as audacious. And it was just... That's exactly. It just encompasses his whole his whole being. It's all instinct, isn't it? You know, is it? Is people have said he's a totally different individual off the pitch than he is on the pitch, and that encompasses all the good, all the breathtaking, and all the absolute, the, all the negative that comes with it. And you know that header. It, it just you, this. I can't even say anything about it now. It was that audacious. It was yeah. just something that he did it on the pitch, and he did it often, and you just, your jaw dropped, and she just thanks that we had him. Well, I, I, I realised there's something this morning about him, which was that, in fact, he was raised by wolves, and <laughs> that, that explains a lot to me. <laughs> not on more than you, so. Not more, no, not Wolverhampton. No, no, yeah, no, they've no, got a great academy, <laughs> developing players like Suarez <laughs> in the Midlands. I, I wish I'd realised you know, earlier, but... I think he's, uh, it's, it's uh, Mowgli in the Jungle Book. He went into the village and um, he came out as a footballer. And, uh, 
Well, look, we're going to move on to transfers. Um, I suggest that we don't get into the the the, the black hole of transfer speculation because I think once no. you start in that, you will never be seen again. And equally, um, we, we're, we're all kind of uh, uh, YouTube scouting experts as well. So um, I guess really a good place to, to, to based on that is, is almost for us to say, okay, who has been signed? And, and so we're going to assume uh, Lambert, Lalana, uh, is it Chan? Is that how we pronounce him? Jam, I believe. Jam, okay. Well, there was a debate about this. Richard in Bridge. Yeah, even our Turkish speakers didn't agree on how you pronounce it. But right. Okay. It's not can, anyway. Okay. <laughs> and but that's Mar what we're talking about, though. Uh, and Mar Markovitz. Have I got that one right? Yeah, I think that's okay. pretty much done, I think. Okay, so... Um, we did, let's start with him because we were you, you were starting to talk about him earlier, Paul. Uh, does, does anyone else know anything about him at all? Has anyone else seen much of him? Well, it's an article ready to go, Bob. So, um, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, uh, if I can quote from it, he's a player who can play as a striker or a winger. He describes as a player with exceptional qualities and impressive acceleration, easy on the eye and fleet of foot, a constant menace in the final third where he can run at defenders or pick apart a defence with a pass. Serbia's caretaker coach believes Markovic's transfer to Liverpool can help him become one of Europe's elite players. So there you go. That's um, oh. that's Markovic. Boy, I mean, I mentioned before with um, um, Tor Christian Carlson, and then you 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 just mentioned uh, his international manager. Um, was the other thing was Abraham Grant. I don't know he's not the um, he's not one of those names that everybody takes seriously, but he did say that um, Markovic is the best teenager he's seen aside from Ronaldo and Messi so um so again that's pretty high praise you know we're in danger of building the guy up too much but um the potential is certainly there and from a stats perspective he, he was at Partizan Belgrade initially had 65 appearances for them 14 goals 16 assists and for Benfica 48 appearances seven goals and four assists he does seem to be um, like like the quote just highlighted, Chris, um, a goals and an assists person. He, he won't score the volume of Suarez, but if he can get a huge balance between, you know, scoring important goals, maybe 10, I'd put 10 on that prediction. And if, if he adds 10 to 15 assists as well, that'd be unbelievable. If, if, he, can, if he can scrape double figures and, in both in his first season, you take that. His, his acceleration is absolutely phenomenal. phenomenal. It, it, it's... You know, it's one of those sort of, you know, a joy to behold where you just see somebody just go through the gears. Um, you know, a bit reminiscent of Gareth Bale in that I'm not convinced Bale is as great as the hype suggests. But when when he was running and going, you know, it, it's, it, is a, it is a sight to behold. And for me, Markovic has got like, you know, a similar sort of acceleration, probably with, with better better technical abilities but at the moment not quite the the, the physical um capabilities you know he, the, the concerns in his, uh, earlier in his career were about his physique and his slightness um but you know he's, he's reaching an age where he's going to be filling out a bit i think he's still only 20 um so you know it might take him a while to to to, to get acclimatized to the premier league i'm never for me, with this whole thing of buying proven Premier League players, I'm having gone through all the history of Premier League transfers, you know, sort of thousands of transfers. I, 
I can't really see a big correlation between buying players from this country, you know, as being a definitely, uh, you know, definitely a better route than getting them from abroad because you just think of all the players that that have come in from abroad, and you know, you've got look, look at just Arsenal like Thierry Henry, um, uh, you know, Vieira, uh, Perez, um, Burkamp, you know, going back to the nineties. Some some of them came in and took longer to adapt, but they but if they if they were great players, they most of them showed it in the end. So, um, but the only thing is, if players are particularly physically slight, then you know there's always a danger they'll get they'll get bullied out of it. But um, but with with uh, Can or Chan, um, you know, we we've bought a really strong physical player there, um, and so you know maybe we can compensate for Markovic's sort of, you know, his slightness by, by strengthening the team physically in other areas. And on, on Markovic, I, don't, I can't find, I've just been looking, I can't find the source. It might have been Avram Grant on um, Carlos Curres, I can't even say it. But they said his, the only way, the, the issue about him not achieving Messi or Ronaldo's level was his application in training. You know, he didn't... I think it was a player. Was it an ex-player? Was it an ex-player? Somebody who I'm, I'm not it, sure... Said he was an absolute, uh, you know, you know, as good as player. as good as he's ever seen. Yeah, has got all the tools to be become the best, and the only reason that he hasn't yet or he won't is because of his application and training. And I think Rogers will, will that's one thing Rogers will get to. Do you know exactly. What I mean? So, yeah. and another caution is how many games are we expecting him to? You know, is he going to be a first teamer from from the off every single game? Because then we'd have two quite youngish players either side of Sturridge, and Sturridge has got an injury record, or are we just looking, say, 20, 25 games from him this season? Well, I'd, I'd like to, what I'd like to know in advance, what you, you were trying to work out what, what Rodgers is going to do, but we, we, we're going to seem to have a lot more striking options this season than last season. Is this so that he can... Um, have a plan B, maybe from the start of games or later on in games. Um, is it to rotate, or you know, is it just insurance so that if, um, say, Sturridge is injured, then we've got Lambert. Although the, you then sort of think, well, they're very different types of players. Um, so it, it, I, I'm actually excited to see um, options. I think. Yeah, yeah. It? Mm. it might it might go horribly wrong and. And the, the the players might not gel as you hoped, um, but this is just my personal, you know, opinion of, of most transfers. I'm, I can normally see something to get excited about, and you know, it seems to be that it doesn't matter what you think about a player. Um, there's never any, you know, you know. I mean, I remember being terrified when Chelsea bought Shevchenko. You thought, oh my God, they, they, you know, they, they're champions already, and they've just added this phenomenal striker, and he was absolutely awful for them, and just looked lost, and um, you know, so you know, I, you can never know for sure what you're going to get, but it's always some, you know, it can always be interesting when new players come in, and then you can sort of try and imagine how it will work out. Well, you, you've you've got that kind of rule of thumb, haven't you, that that says sort of. 50% of transfers work? Yeah, well, Dan, Dan, well, I, something that I went through, um, Dan Kennett, who's um, pretty well known on Twitter and 
been part of TTT since we since we launched. Um, he called it Tompkins Law. I wouldn't, you know, I've named a website after myself. That was quite enough. Um, I'm not sure I need a law named after <laughs> me as well. But the um, this started when in um, early 2010, Graham Riley, who's um, again is another sort of key person on TTT. Um, set up a, 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 a database of all players in the Premier League era and how much they cost. Um, I'd written the book Dynasty, um, which was looking at 50 years of Liverpool, and I'd compared the, how much players cost across the era by comparing it to the transfer record. So if it, if it set a transfer record, it was so I'll put it down as 100%, or if it was sort of, you know, 90% of the existing transfer record, that's how much the player costs, so that I could compare players from Shankly's day to when the book came out, it was when Benitez was manager, so all the, and everyone in between. Um, Graham, who's, a, who's a, an accountant, got in touch and said, well, why not try and do this in keeping with um, inflation? The trouble being that football inflation runs much faster than, than sort of standard retail inflation. So he said, well, why don't we take the same model as retail inflation and apply it to footballers? So instead of a basket of, of goods, you know, the, the basket, how much does the milk cost this, this week or this year? How much does, does a loaf of bread cost? How much does a Premier League footballer cost this year? So basically we just had a record of every, every player bought during the Premier League era, and we're talking into thousands of, of, of transfers. Um, we, we assigned, as I say, we had their initial fee and then we applied the inflation to them so you could see, because when the Premier League started, the average price of a transfer was £500,000. So that was the average, an average Premier League footballer, that's what they would cost. Whereas now, the, an, a, the average price of a transfer is over £5 million. So, you know, you've got a tenfold rise in what players cost. And even going back to 2003, 2004, player fees have more than doubled in that time. Now, with all this information, I tried to work out a method of assessing whether transfers had been a success or not. With, um, you could go through two or 3,000 transfers and say, well, he was good, uh, he wasn't good. But then I suddenly realised, well, A, that's very subjective. And B, I don't know half of these players. I don't know, you know, some of these were from Oldham or Swindon in the early days of the Premier League or something. I don't, I can't remember them. Um, so I thought, right, how many games did they play? And Graham's database is phenomenal. Um, and for every player, it's got how many Premier League games they started and what percentage of games they started. Um, so I thought, we're well, using those things, plus how much they cost, how much they were sold for, both of those with inflation taken into account, I can work out, you know, who was a profitable signing and who was um, a signing that, that played a lot of Premier League games. Um, and when I, when I went through it all, I think something like only 40% of the transfers were in credit. The rest were, you know, totally neutral which could mean a player was bought for 100,000, played no games, and was sold for 100,000, or it could mean that he was a free transfer, 
you know, who, who or, sorry, who was slightly more expensive, sorry, and who who played just a handful of games and then was sold. You know, there was a ton of neutral players that just didn't make any impact, good or bad. They just kind of passed through. And then there was the the horror shows, the you know, the Shevchenkos. Um, unfortunately, the Andy Carroll as well, who's sort of down at the bottom of the, of, of the list. Um, Sean Wright Phillips, all these players that cost a, a ton of money, didn't play that much, and then were either sold or released for free, or you know. And so, yeah, so it's about forty percent of transfers were actually in credit. Um, and I'd, I'd previously looked at all of Liverpool's transfers, and you can go through them and think. Particularly, I remember going through Shankly's and thinking, "My God, he signed a lot of duds." You know, there, there were some pretty pretty poor signings in there but then again with you look at Shankly signings there were some incredible signings there as well Arsene Wenger seen as kind of like one of the certainly until recently seen as one of the, the, the transfer gurus um, and he signed an incredible amount of rubbish the strikers that he signed early on I can't even remember half of their names but you know Christopher Ray um, mm, yes, Orte, yes. all these all these terrible flops Jeffers. Jeffers, you know, <laughs> uh, is it Cabadiawara? Um, the list, list goes on. But what I realised was he got, you know, almost half of his transfers right, though, and he got about 10%. So every couple of years he would sign someone like Thierry Henry or Patrick Vieira um, who would really make a difference. And uh, and, and I think you know, that seems to be my, so that's sort of become my general rule of thumb, that 40%, 50% will succeed and only 10% will be um, sensational. I, I, I think I, I would say this, for me, for me, that stirs up two thoughts, really. One is that, um, that some people may take that um, 50% literally and say, oh, it's like the toss of a coin. So we, we, we've had one bad one, so the next one must, no, yeah, be, must be good. Um, yeah. And and so it, what we're talking about is over clearly over a period of time. And and but the the thought then is is that what what do, does that information give you any um, suggestion in terms of uh, in terms of a strategy? Is it, does it make more sense to say okay, with the money we got, we'll make lots of kind of small like bets or investments or whatever we want to call them, or um, so so we get a greater quantity, but that we're spending less and, and they're less kind of guaranteed. Or it's very, it's very interesting you should say that, Bob, because just a day or two ago, um, I was reading about the Oakland A's, the whole Moneyball thing. You know, um, they they they've risen again, the Oakland A's, and um, and sort of uh, at the time of the article, were the best team in baseball statistically of the season. Um, and one of their three sort of new strategies, one of them was um, just get get players in in bulk and see who sticks and who doesn't sort of thing. You know, like throwing you know, mud against the wall, see what sticks. It, 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 you know, it's the kind of, I suppose that's the kind of law of averages game that if you get in 20 players and five are good enough, you only need five players for your team. Now, in football, it's, it, it's different because you've got to pay for the transfers in, in advance. So, um, and if you're just getting in free transfers to try and see how that is, then obviously your odds are probably worse with free transfers because a lot of the time you're talking about players at the end of their 
usefulness. Um, but it is a that is a. I, I read that the other day and thought, well, that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing, you know. And maybe you've got the risk of what Spurs did last season when, you know, sold one their best sold their best player and brought in seven promising players and pretty much none of them actually took. And you could say, well, so is that proof of, of that that's the wrong thing to do? Or did those players just have bad seasons, bad luck? Did they not settle? Were there other issues? Were they not the right players? Um, so what, you've always got to be a bit worried when you're trying to change a load of players at once. But at the same time, you go through pretty much any transfer window and you will find you know, players that succeeded and, and, and players that, that failed. And you, you, know, you have the exceptions like 1987 when we brought in Aldridge, Houghton, Barnes and Beardsley, and you, you think, well, you couldn't, you know, that, that's, that's to, to use a word that's been completely damned by Roy Hodgson, that's utopia, you know, <laughs> bringing those players and then, and, and then they all pretty much, I know Beardsley sort of was a little sort of slow to get going, but they pretty much all impacted on, on what became arguably our, our most creative side. So, you know, it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting debate, and the one yeah. thing that I will always say about transfers is, you know, I see people going mad about why have we bought this player or why have we bought that player, and I I remember in I started writing about Liverpool in two thousand, and I remember people going mad that we'd bought Gary McAllister, um, you know, well, we get up with old, washed up old rubbish like that, and then, you know, through we signed. Fernando Morientes, everybody thought, yeah, sign in a player, he's from Real Madrid, he just had a good season on loan at Monaco, great player. Turned out he didn't work. And then, when I was writing for the official site in 2007, I literally uh, got, you know, dozens of emails from people saying, why are we signing another Spanish forward called um, Fernando? You know, didn't, shouldn't we have learned last time? <laughs> And yeah. in all seriousness, people were saying... Even this, with um, Spanish um, stri strikers called Fernando, the 50% rule holds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, actually, I was just going to say to you, Chris, that, that, that over the years you must have uh, seen that real mixture um, of, of transfer, Liverpool transfer records being broken um, and the player... Uh, becoming a, a disappointment, not necessarily delivering, and then almost unknown players coming in. You know, you think of, of uh, the, the whole long list of, of players, starting with Keegan, uh, completely unknown, uh, almost for, for, for even at, uh, in those days, relatively small change. And, Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. You know, I've, I've mentioned it often on the site that a good friend of mine is a West Bromwich Albion supporter was very accusatory about when Liverpool signed an untried teenager from Chester for 300,000 quid, Chris, which Chris, is an obscene amount of money. Can I just, can I just, can you just quickly tell um, people who won't be familiar with the story about what, what, what the guy carved into his, his Oh, arm? Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> people who aren't familiar with the site may wonder why we keep having a typo occur when West Bromwich Alvin becomes WAB. But in fact, um, this, this mate of mine used to go to all the Albion games back in the 70s, this was talking about, on the coach. And um, they were on their way back from somewhere far flung. 
Middlesbrough, I think, or something like that. Um, and there was a, a slightly disturbing item that always used to travel with them and came from Dudley. They always sat on his own. Um, wasn't quite the full full ticket, apparently. Um, and around about Derby Ring Road, they'd, Malcolm nodded across to this fellow. Oh, what's he doing? He was basically work, he worked his way through a massive pile of cans, and he was he got a ring pull and was basically carving on the back of his hand. And he said, oh, I can't watch, I can't watch this. And the guy finally wipes his hand clear of blood to find he'd written WAB on the back of his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they've become I, WAB ever since. That just sums up um, the general football fan, the stupidity. Brilliant. I love it that. Does. But, but, but this guy, not, not, not the guy who did the carving, um, the guy who watched him. Um, my mate was was uh, I just remember at the time how scathing he was about you know one of the the elite wealthy clubs spending that sort of money on untried youngsters and it was killing football uh, and the youngster's name was was, was Rush um, worked out okay but um, you know the, it, it highlights the difference between perceptions at the time and perceptions after you've actually have the yes. test, if you like. <laughs> you know, it, in other words, there's no point until they've played for you. Until you don't, we just don't know. Until someone's played for you, there's no point really offering an opinion. <laughs> we, we've no idea how it's going to work out. You know, he may have he may have vanished without a trace. You know. I was discussing yesterday with a friend of the site, uh, Danielle Warren, um, about. You know, she was up, she was sort of slightly angsty that we were signing from from smaller clubs and and although I understand that and I think and I would generally feel more relaxed if we sign players with big club experience who've handled that and you know that they can handle that but at the same time you look at you know players that we've bought from from Real Madrid and and that haven't worked and then you buy this lad from from Sunderland and you, you give him a bit of a, a, a you know a time to adapt and suddenly people are now talking about him as you know future captain you know um material so it's just so hard to predict who will succeed and who will fail and you know yes i'm always nervous when when our rivals sign these big names like chelsea have been doing and like united are going to do you know doing this summer going over to some big names but at, at the same time you know i'm excited when we sign those players but they don't necessarily work out and I've yet to, to 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 see some kind of definite pattern in this, and even even with money spent, and uh, you know, I with the database, I can tell that the more you spend on a player, the greater your chances of him succeeding. But it might go from forty percent to sixty percent, and then if you look at once inflation is applied, if you look at the top, um, I think it was the top ten transfers. You know, so you're talking about people like Shevchenko and uh, and that that are in there as, as well. Only five of them was, were were successful. Five of them were pretty horrendous flops. Um, you know, okay, Shevchenko and Sean Mike Phillips being two that in today's money would be in the top ten transfer. Um, so you know, even then, there's still no there's still no guarantee. So and you've just got to um, you know wait and see what happens and and try and try and have some faith in the reasons those players were scouted 
but at the same time don't think that just because a player was great before he'll be great now or or if a player you know every time you put a player into a new team he's going to different things are going to be brought out of him so you know that's that's the key though isn't it when you're judging a transfer when we hear about the um the link say or when you hear it's confirmed analyze the transfer give give your opinion especially if you've watched them a lot give your opinion but crucially don't judge them as a failure don't judge them that it's definitely going to fail no. or don't judge the transfer fee because that's so relative to the performance and we haven't seen the performance yet you know how you don't know so especially if you've watched the players a lot definitely give you opinion there's so many people that haven't seen a lot of these players that we've been linked with now i saw lalana a lot and I, I i rated him but i don't know if he's going to fit into our system yeah. but there were qualified people there were so many people on our on our transfer committee there's barry hunter dave fallows michael edwards you know ian graham chris davis all of them have big influence and then there's the then there's the scouts across Across and the world. And, and all these people are qualified to make these calls, to make the these judgments. Analytics. That's what I mean. That's Michael Edwards is the yeah, head of yeah. the analytics. And that's influenced, obviously, and run, I think, by Director of Research Ian Graham. Yeah. You know, these people are in there and they're highly qualified. And it's, it's not, we're not focusing on stats. We're not focusing on going and seeing the players. We're not focusing on what the manager wants. We're, we're using a, a, a totally... You know, holistic approach, we're using, we're using them all together to hopefully complement each other. And like Paul says, even with the best transfer committee, with the most qualified people in the world, some of those transfers would still fail. And Ro- Rogers has himself on more than one occasion made it quite clear that, that we pay great attention to personal qualities as well as footballing abilities. So that it is holistic. They are looking at that aspect as well. Yeah. Are they likely to be able to handle the weight of the shirt? syndrome you know the, yeah. the pressure of a, of a big club um they're looking at that as well as well as the you know so so it's, it's not you know they're not arriving at these things so they're not pulling the names out of a hat and don't be afraid of other clubs rejects yes know. absolutely you know coutinho Cru- crucially yeah, <laughs> yeah. storage and coutinho. seems to be there seems to be a gap in the market there yeah that's where you get yeah. your, your, your value your storage value your coutinho value. the reason yeah. the reason we got storage was because Roman Abramovich was fixated on a big name striker and wanted Torres, and then whoever was managing had to put Torres in the team. So that that, that whole and they bought Bar to replace Sturridge. Yeah, and it, you know, there's no, um, you know, the, yeah. <laughs> there's there's value out there. It doesn't have to be the most expensive player, but you've just got to try and be as clever as you can, and that's easier said than done. And to, can can I? The- Sorry, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Go on, Chris. I'm just talking about the way transfer um, speculation and, and reaction, rather, when transfers take place, can can make fools of us all. Um, the received wisdom was that when Barr went to Chelsea to replace Sturridge, that Chelsea were the smart guys because they'd spent yes, yes. money on a proven Premier League scorer, and we'd spent money on a wing and a prayer, basically. Uh, and how does that, that very look often now? now? Yeah, exactly. It's, and, it, and, there's, and there's revisionism going on. People don't remember that. We've talked about signing new players in, but there's a, it wasn't that long ago we talked about there was a golden generation coming through from the academy. People like uh, Jack Robinson, uh, Wisdom, Ivy, uh, even people like Suso, I guess. You know, that, 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 that it wasn't that long ago that, that people would say, uh, there's potentially eight 
nine you know yeah. uh, names of, of of almost a a uh, the team of the future is well, is well is sterling uh, sterling has already sort of broken through and really you know he, he came in then dipped but now he seems to have found like you know more consistency um john flanagan whether he um wants um you know whether he's going to be wanted um once the, the the you know for the first team anyway once the the transfer window is open we don't know but he's another one that's come in and done surprisingly well and then there's you know there's a lot um you know sort of as i say at the start of last season i or ib was was ahead of of sterling in some people's eyes and you know in the on the pecking order um suso did some really good things the season before last you could see his promise i think there's there's a whole raft of, of talent but they need to go out and get so, so if wisdom goes on loan somewhere like west brom this season then you know that's a good move because he's still a young defender he's got lots to learn but he's got the potential and it's better that he's out on loan than in our under 21 team you know so i think i think there's there's a lot there to come through, but you never know. Again, with, with football, you never know. Um, I remember seeing Christian Nemeth a few years ago and just thinking, this guy's like finishes like Fowler. He's a real natural. Um, surely the big things are, uh, you know, and then he's, he's gone, he's vanished um, off the radar. And so I don't think you can, ever, you can ever be too confident, but then you look at someone like Sterling and, and Ibe even, you know, and how much, they are ahead of everyone else when they play age group football and you kind of think well you know all they've got to do is keep their head screwed on and they will continue to develop but then you get into the issue of if you start if you're improving your first team and this is kind of what's happened at chelsea is if you improve your first team to such a point that it then actually becomes harder to give these guys any time you know if if, if you want to make your first team as strong as possible, then you can't wait for these guys to come through their sort of period of transition and getting used to, to the top level. So it's it's always a it's always a difficult one that. Um, but it's I, you know, a judgment for the club to make, isn't there? You know how how close they judge them to be ready, because that's obviously going to impact on their transfer activity. I mean, I think, well, you know, this guy's going to be ready next season. Um, you maybe you don't sign a Markovic if you think. Yeah. is going to be in the side next season so so that the two are linked but, but but at this point in time you know markovic is you know into double figures for international caps yeah has had a full season you know in in, in the portuguese league you, you know um he's i think he's probably a year or maybe two years older than ibe but yeah. then do you say right well okay you know ibe's clearly got the potential or do we just get somebody that's got even more potential perhaps in and then well that's the club's call isn't exactly. it they, that's that's where they have to sort of make the judgment about how far along the line these youngsters are and how how close they are to being first team ready um so would michael owen have broke michael owen broke through fowler was fowler's injuries had started to play a part colin moore was a loose cannon brilliant one week you know nowhere near training the next uh, and and so it was perfect for owen to come in and, and say right you know, going early and learn your trade, you know, it's probably easier for us to do that. Whereas now, 
certainly last season, you wouldn't have taken a 17-year-old Owen and put him in a team when you've got Suarez and, and um, Sturridge and Sterling even in, in there already because you don't need him. So then do you hold on to him until he's 19 and 20? Does he get a breakthrough? Does he go out on loan? Does he stagnate? You know, so, you know, I think it's always a, again, it, there's, there's never, in football there, there seems to be no, there's certainly no right answers in advance. You know, we can only be right behind This was the the first uh, TTT podcast. Um, we would we're expecting to come back in two weeks' time. Yep, that's the plan. With the next one. Um, but if people are uh, desperate to find out more and, and to to read more, there's a new uh, TTT book, isn't there? Paul, do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it's called They Dared to Dream: um, How Rogers. Liverpool went so close. Um, something we decided to start putting together um, a few months before the end of the season because it had, it was proven to be so exciting. Um, so we, we gathered together sort of half of what had already appeared on the site, and then we got the various writers, myself included, to write new stuff for the book. Um, we produced some hard copies for subscribers only. And then the book is now sale on the Kindle store. Uh, it's going down incredibly well with United fans who uh, are absolutely trolling the life out of the Amazon um, reviews, which is just it brings joy to my heart to see how obsessed and, and you know how wound up they are by some Liverpool fans writing a book about Liverpool Football Club. It, you know it's. It's kind of like one of the biggest backhanded compliments. Um, so that's kind of been a new, a new thread to it, the fact that we've finished so far above both Everton and Manchester United, and yet their fans are taking the piss out of um, us for having written a book on our season. And it's not a book about celebrating finishing second. It's a book about an interesting season. Yeah, there's, um, there's, there's something in there if they wanted to read it. You know, there's 20 times better Liverpool three United nil if they wanted to have a read of that. Or there's um, Regal Rogers and mediocre Moyes. You know, there's plenty in there yeah. for them if they want to read it. <laughs> go in there, have a read, and there's lots for you. We do mention Man United. You know, it was a great season for Man United from Liverpool fans' perspective. So it was a remarkable season. I'll send you, know. you a free copy. I'll post it on there, yeah. Cafe, yeah. if you really want to read it. For a team to go from seventh to second is almost as remarkable a story as one going from first to seventh i would have thought so you yeah. know there is um <laughs> you know that there is <laughs> there is a, a basis for the book dan you you um went through and edited the articles what, what's the kind of range of things that are in them just a, a flavor of there's a there's a whole range there's articles from a psychology perspective from Sai. there's there's plenty of statistical analysis goal differential and league position from steven jensen um you know there's there's all Paul's best stuff from last season, you know, um, the pros and cons of selling Suarez, which was the end of the previous book. And then there's lots of stuff on FSG, um, you know, have, there's, a, there's a poll by Sidesteers again on how Liverpool have progressed. There's, there's, there's Zach Slatton, who's an Arsenal fan, who helps with um, the transfer price index. There's reasons why Rodgers, you know, the mistakes that F FSG have made. Um, 
how we was waiting such a long time for such a, a landmark victory, and Paul talks about the one against Spurs, the 5-0 victory at White Hart Lane. That, that, that brings me on to, to you, Chris. You, you edit the site. Um, the, the book gives you a taste of what's on the site, but, but there's, more, there's far more about the site than, than just a series of articles, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Um, the articles themselves uh, have, have broadened out uh, in, in recent years. I mean, three and a half years since, since I've been a sort of full-time editor. And in that time, we've vastly broadened the, um, the number of, uh, of writers and contributors that are getting stuff published on, on Tomkins Times. Um, not least because as the site's grown, it would be impossible for Paul to be the, you know, the sole perpetrator. It would be impossible to produce the level of a number of article, new articles that we need. Um, and so with, with such a vast range of contributors, you are getting a broad range of styles uh, and topics and contents covered. Um, you know, from the sort of philosophical, cerebral end of the market to, to, to more sort of mood pieces and, and all points in between. Um, and then, of course, the, the, you know, the articles themselves are only really the, the, the sort of starting point for what you could argue is, is the greatest single strength of the site, which is the, the comments and the debating that follows. Um, many of which free. are so... Sorry? Which is absolutely troll-free. Which is troll-free, yes, absolutely. Um, and, and quite often um, to such a, a good standard, a high standard, that, that articles have been converted into... Uh, sorry, comments have been turned into articles in their own right, um, which gives you an idea of, A, the length, and B, the quality. Uh, of the kind of uh, responses that we, we regularly get. Um, so, so yeah, it, there is a, a great deal more to it than, than you would get from the book. Um, what you don't get from the book, of course, is, is, that, is that debating, that, that sort of um, interplay um, between subscribers, which... Um, yeah.